It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Will I Survive God's Final Judgment? Coming up in this episode... According to the Bible, God's final judgment is a make-or-break event. At stake is eternal life or eternal death. The parable about the sheep and the goats that Jesus spoke of seems to say that if you don't give someone water when they're thirsty, then you're doomed to eternal death. Can that be right? Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Looking forward to this topic. And Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? Matthew 25, 32 and 33. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Talking about the day of judgment can be difficult. The sad truth is that as magnanimous as the love and mercy of God through Jesus are, the opportunity to fail throughout the day of judgment will be very real. God created humanity with free will, and the day of judgment will be about teaching our race how to use that free will to make righteous choices that lead to eternal life. This will require accountability for all and a heartfelt focus on unlearning and renouncing all things sinful. Because these lessons will be based on the enormous firsthand experiences with sin and death that we all have in this age, they will be, these lessons will be practical, logical, appealing, and learnable. Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats is a picture of the end results of these lessons. Matthew chapter 24 is our Lord's great prophecy about his return. Matthew 25 contains three parables all having to do with his return. While all parables have a specific lesson, all parables also present us with principles that we can learn from, even if the lesson does not apply to us. First, the Matthew 25 parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25, 1 and 2. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. Well, the oil in the lamps represents the Holy Spirit. If we aren't developing the fruit of the Spirit, we can lose it. Just because we we are called to follow Jesus doesn't mean we're okay. Developing Christ-likeness is a daily process. This is important. This is one of the two parables before the sheep and the goats, and this is a warning to Jesus' disciples to be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. He goes away. He's going to come back. This is about the return of Jesus. So, Jonathan here, what's the main lesson of this particular parable? The main lesson is watch and wait in a prepared spiritual state because there are consequences for careless spiritual focus. There are consequences for careless spiritual focus. Let's keep that in mind as we develop the context of the parable of the sheep and the goats. So we've got the first parable of the the, uh, ten virgins. Now we go to the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. We're just going to introduce it, verses 14 and 15. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, 
and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. This is a picture of Jesus going to his Father in heaven. We are represented by the slaves. We have to work while the master's gone, looking for those who are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We are fishers of men teaching the good news. So that first parable was about consequences for careless spiritual focus. Well, here, Jesus is building on that foundation from the ten virgins, and he's saying not only must true Christians watch and wait in a prepared state, but they must also work hard at their opportunities in the gospel work that they're given. So this is about hard work. Lesson. So the lesson here, Jonathan, built on the, 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 the parable of the ten virgins is what? Use that which you are given as a bondservant of Christ or lose it. So these two parables are teaching us very similar, two different parts of the same lesson. Both parables are directed to Jesus' disciples in this present age and show great reward and the possibility, the possibility of falling short as well. Let's not be of the mind because I love Jesus, I'm good. These parables disprove the concept, once saved, always saved. They do. And this is an important idea to understand that it is not a free ride once you say, I love Jesus. It is absolutely not. These parables are showing us. So that's the background. Those are the two parables before the sheep and the goats. Now, this next parable of the sheep and the goats has similar themes, but applies at a later time and applies to the rest of the world. So we're going to get started. We're going. That's our theme parable for this podcast. Let's start, Jonathan. It goes from Matthew 25, 31 to 46, but let's just read verse 31 for right now. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So this is important. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is not at the returning like a thief in the night stage of Jesus' return, but it's at the final stage of his returning work. And one of the primary definitions for the word comes in the Greek-English lexicon is to appear, make one's appearance, come before the public. For more on the return of Jesus, see episode 1194. Could Jesus return without you knowing? Go to ChristianQuestions.com or the Christian Questions app and enter the episode number into the search bar. So, Rick, who are these angels that come with Jesus? All right. So he comes in his glory with all the angels. It sounds like, is it like all of the angels in all of heaven? Because you kind of get that sense. It's not that way. We believe these angels to be Jesus' true followers working with him in reconciliation and judgment. Now, why would we say that? We don't... How is it that we're saying his true followers now are angels later? Where do we get that connection? Follow along with us. First, let's look at Luke 9, 26. We're going to build a scriptural basis for this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay, the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's an interesting phrase. As a matter of fact, this phrase, the holy angels, only appears a few times in Scripture, and it always, it always appears in relation to those with Jesus during his return. So it's like God has these massive amounts of angels, but when it talks about his holy angels, it's narrowing down to a specific group. Who are they? We said we think that they're Jesus' followers. Let's go further and scripturally put this in order. The first two parables of Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. These show us the necessity 
to be holy and set apart in faithfulness. Those lessons were about being ready and being busy with godly work. So let's look at building on that with 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, and we are just putting this in place to establish these holy angels. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, there is this huge focus on becoming holy. And if you're a footstep follower of Christ, you know what? That's what your life is about. Your life is about being transformed into a holy being who is about the work of God. To be holy is to be set apart, to be, to, to be sanctified, to be put in a place where you are for God's work. So we've got this be holy, even as God is holy. Now, we can't do that in our imperfect life, but we can strive for it. So we've got this being holy as a theme. Let's go now to the next scripture to help build this, this understanding of these holy angels. And this is Jude chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, verse 15 is referring to the judgment of mankind by Jesus in the church after resurrection. Reconciliation is a process that will help the recovery. The church is being developed now for this job. And so you, you're talking about that, that, that judgment, and that the, the true church is, is, is going to be involved in that job. And that's why it says the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. So you see how holy angels, holy ones, and the angels, they all have to do with this time of judgment. So it's all the same group, and it's showing us that these are the ones that were developed in Jesus' footsteps, the true disciples of Jesus. That's why we see them, these faithful ones, uh, as, as being those who were, were with Jesus, essentially walking in this age. So the faithful ones, in the first two parables, you talked about the ten virgins being faithful to Jesus in this age, you talked about the parable of the talents being faithful to Jesus in this age. Those faithful ones in those first two parables appear in this third parable, but they're with Jesus. They're with him. They're doing work alongside of him. This is a big thing when we see this. So Jesus puts those first two parables and says, here's the role you'll play later. You need to go through this work. You need to be developed. And here is where you will be with me. Now let's go back to Matthew 25, verse 32, and see a little bit of what that work is about. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All right, so Jonathan, it says all the nations. My favorite word, all. That's everyone's included. No one's left out, Rick. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. All the nations. It's not picking and choosing the nations east of such and such a river. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's all of the nations. So this parable shows us the final results of Judgment Day. And you go back to that Jude scripture, that's what it's about. Folks, it all fits together. And so we're seeing the players and we're seeing them line up for this very, very important set of lessons. So Jonathan... 
you know, we're talking about, am I a sheep or a goat? You know, will I survive God's final judgment? And the parable uses sheep and goats. And it's like, when I was thinking about this, how do you, how do you sum this up? And it's like, well, to be a sheep or not to be a sheep, to be a goat or not to be a goat, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler, you know, Shakespeare. <laughs> okay, so we're not going to go down that road exactly, but sheep or goat, what to be and what not to be. That is the question. <laughs> One of the basic lessons of Matthew 25 parable is that no one in this age or the next will be exempt from the call to righteousness. God's plan allows sin and death as tools to guide every human being to ultimately choose the high ground. In all cases, choices will be made and God's appropriate actions through Jesus will follow. So it doesn't matter when you live now or later there is one pattern you have to comply you have to move up to a higher level in this age it's harder than in the next age but we all have to do the same thing we're all in the same boat it's all about living up to godliness no matter who no matter when no matter where no matter why it's all the same for everybody so this is what the parable of the sheep and the goats is actually based upon so it's comforting it's comforting yet sobering to know that god will bring all to appropriate judgment at the appropriate time. So, this parable teaches judgment is inevitable for all, but why use the examples of sheep and goats? One of the amazing things about Jesus' parables is his use of specific symbolism to make his points. In this case, sheep and goats are used to reveal specific characteristics that can enhance or detract from humanity's adherence to righteous principles. Jesus picked up on this symbolism from Old Testament teachings. And this is important. You know, if you do this study on the parables and teachings of Jesus, you will find more often than not, they're founded in the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament and he brought it to life when he was teaching anyone who was willing to listen. So let's go back to the parable of the sheep and goats, Matthew 25, now verse 33. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Well, why the right and the left? The right represents favor and power. Remember, Jesus was elevated to the right hand of God. Jesus told us that in Matthew 26, 64. So there is great favor on the right. Okay, so why sheep? You said why the right or the left? Why sheep? Well, sheep because... They were all a well-used Old Testament picture of God's people. You, you see this constantly throughout the Old Testament. We'll lose just two scriptures to illustrate. First, Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. All of us like sheep. There you go. You have that, that, that picture. And, and of course, one of the most graphic pictures of sheep as human beings in the Old Testament is the 23rd Psalm. It is a sensitive, beautiful picture. So, Jonathan, let's look at Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, lies, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, the sheep in these verses represent those that trust God and his guidance and are peacefully led on a path of righteousness. They're in harmony with, protected, and loved by their shepherd. When you look at a shepherd and sheep, you get a really great sense of the care that God our Father gives to us and Jesus, his chief shepherd, gives to us 
as well. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture, and that's why Jesus uses sheep and goats in this parable. Sheep are used, this, this, is, this is really cool, sheep are used by Jesus to illustrate all of humanity, but he illustrates all of humanity in two distinct, different categories. The first category of humanity that is represented by sheep are, are the Christian flock, what's called the little flock, uh, whose reward is being with Jesus in heaven. And that's the call of the true church. And we're going to look at John chapter 10. We're going to look at uh, verses 14 and 15, then verses 16 and 17. Verses 14 and 15 focus in on this little flock. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I am known of the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. Well, Rick, this really fits with the first two parables about the church in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. Exactly. And when you, when you realize that the disciples followed Jesus around, did what he said, went where he said, you get this tremendous sense that that's what we're supposed to do. So this picture of shepherd and sheep is very appropriate here and now for the true followers of Christ. But there's more to this. And Jesus, in his very next lines, talks about something else, something bigger. He talks about an earthly flock. These are the sheep of this parable, and their reward will be an earthly kingdom. So he talked about those who followed in his footsteps. And now listen carefully, John 10, the next two verses, verses 16 and 17. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. And Rick, this fits with the parable of the sheep and the goats, which represents the world of mankind, the other sheep. That's right. So you've got the other sheep. There's two different flocks here. It's very specific. And Jesus you know, his teachings layer one upon another. And that's why looking at this parable of the sheep and the goats, we need to lay all of this groundwork. And why goats, Rick? Okay, why goats? Well, this is a shorter description, all right? They were also well used in the Old Testament as pictures of rebellion. Just one scripture, Zechariah 10.3. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats, for the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah. So we've got the contrast between sheep and goats, sheep and goats. We're going to go to a, uh, a, a YouTube video, a wonderful YouTube video that describes shepherding and sheep and goats. It's called Sheep and Goats LKP Documentary. And this first piece is just going to help us understand, you know, is can they ever get sheep and goats, can they ever get confused? To our eyes, certain breeds of goats will look like sheep and many sheep will look like goats. This will force us to use characteristics other than outward appearance to tell sheep and goats apart, both the spiritual and physical kind. One important additional characteristic to look for as far as differences in sheep and goats regards their behavior. Sheep tend to follow, goats go their own way. Oh, there's a lot there. <laughs> sheep and goats compared. Jesus is showing us that although people may look the same, inside, we all need to be followers of the shepherd and not tending towards our own way. 
And Rick, when I think of goats, I think of their number one trait as being rebellious. Yeah, they're they're rambunctious. They're they're always getting into things. They're always like reaching. You know, when when you're trying to when when you're using this picture of a shepherd and sheep, you you have to have that sense of you're protected because you you comply with the shepherd. It's about protection. It's about living. And that's why this is such a great, great picture. So let's get more deeply into the parable now. We've got the basics. We've got an understanding of sheep and goats and, and who's who in this parable. Let's go to the, back to the parable, Matthew 25. Let's go through verses 34 through 40, because now this is, this is a judgment time, a judgment period. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or or thirsty and give you something to drink? And and when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Boy, is that powerful. That is a powerful, powerful uh, expression, a powerful lesson here. Jesus is talking about our treatment of one another, not in this age now. This is the next age, in, in the day of judgment. He's teaching about six righteous actions that we, that we put into four categories in our lesson here today uh, of distress of others. So there's going to be six things, but we've categorized them into, into four larger categories to make it a little bit clearer in terms of fitting in with other scriptures. He's saying that the world will be judged by these things, these six things, four categories. So let's look at them. Feeding the hungry and giving a drink to the thirsty. That would be the, the distress of hunger and thirst. Okay, so the distress of hunger and thirst. So the theme for these is going to be distress. So we've got first the distress of hunger and fir- thirst. Next, housing a stranger. This would be the distress of loneliness. Okay, clothing the naked. This is the distress of lack. Visiting the sick and going to the imprisoned. This one is the distress of struggle and imprisonment. So we've got these four general categories, and it's really important to realize that Jesus, this is a parable, this is a story. He's not necessarily talking about literal things happening in the day of judgment. So we're going to take a look at this distress of hunger and thirst, and this represents, we think, a fundamental need for nourishment. It could be spiritual nourishment. It could be human nourishment, one person to another. It could be physical nourishment. It can be any one of those things. The distress of loneliness There's a fundamental need to belong, to be engaged, to be vital. The distress of lack. This is the fundamental need to be equal, equal, to be be present, to, to be on a level of acceptability, presentable to others. You know, I was naked and you clothed me, to be able to be presentable and part of things. And the distress of the struggle. Uh, and, and, and imprisonment. Uh, this is a fundamental need to, to be and to feel cared for, 
to 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 be helped out of your own way. Sometimes we get into our own in our in our own circumstance in our head and we can't get out of it. For somebody to reach out and say, "I'm with you. I went through that kind of struggle too." It's the lifting up of your brother. All of these are dealing with the distresses of coming to righteousness and being involved in each other's lives, whether it be through hunger and thirst or loneliness or lack or struggle. That's what this is about. This parable is not about physical hunger. It's about the engaging in the lives of the brotherhood of humanity to all walk in a righteous way. That's what these lessons really are. Now, in this parable, the sheep are rewarded. They didn't need to think about being righteous as they had learned to make righteousness their natural response. Jonathan, this is enormous. That's having a heart of caring for others and not even knowing it. (laughs) Right. That's amazing. (laughs) Right. It's your instinct to reach out, to help, to, 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 uh, to put yourself in a place where somebody else can be appreciative, to teach, to be an example, to help, to, to, to have yourself engage in another's life. And and you're right. It's without even knowing it because, but that's, that's what we do. That's what we do here. You know, just a, a quick side experience very, very quickly. You know, with family, we have, and you know, Jonathan, you've been around our Sunday dinner table oh, yeah. at my mom's Love house. That. We have a, a wonderful, wonderful, deep and, and very strong family relationship. And when someone has an issue and there's something broken, this family just rallies around. And you know, people, you know, sometimes within the family, it's like, oh, man, how is this happening? And the answer is always the same. That's what family does. It's not something that we got to think about. Hmm, what should we do here? You just rally because, because that's what family does. That's the family of humanity. That's what Jesus is teaching has to come from the inside out. Okay, let's go further. Let's go back to Sheep and Goats LKP documentary. This is cool. This is about responding to the shepherd's voice. In separating the sheep from the goats, note that the shepherds are using their voices, which the sheep and goats recognize. Mere grunts and other voice signals are effective in commanding the animals to move, but sheep generally do not listen to the voice of strangers. Let's see if a stranger's voice will get sheep to respond and move. And you know, on the video, Jonathan, they have these other people try to call the sheep, and it's kind of funny because they're calling, they're making noises, and they're they're waving and doing. And the sheep, you know, occasionally one would look up and just go back to grazing, another would look up. Then the shepherd comes. And he starts speaking and making these noises. And one looks up and another and another and another. And soon they're all looking up. And then they all together start walking toward the shepherd. It is a magnificent, magnificent picture. Sheep emphatically respond to their shepherd's voice, but don't respond to a stranger's voice. That's the powerful lesson here. So this parable builds firmly upon Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 26 speaks about having the path of the righteous level. That's kind of like in Psalm 23, where it says, uh, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. There's this level, there's this path that's, that the shepherd has set up. The beginning of Isaiah 26 that we're going to read describes those who are sheep. So these first few verses, verses uh, 7 through 9, are going to describe what sheep look like and act like. The way of the righteous is smooth. O oh, upright one, make the path of the righteous level. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. 
For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Well, Rick, as followers of Jesus, we can't wait to watch humanity's progress towards righteousness and love the shepherd like we do. When the earth experiences your judgments, that's when it happens. They learn righteousness and it becomes instinctive, just like we were talking about. Verse 10, not quite so much. Let's read Isaiah 26, verse 10. Though the wicked is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. Hmm. Sounds like he's not listening to the voice of the shepherd. And that's exactly the point. He's shown favor, but he's not learning. This is what the parable of the sheep and goats is about. You know, it's, it's about judgment. And God's judgment, as God is the overall judge. His judgments are all over the Bible. If we're willing to learn why his judgments are coming, we will be open to see the eternal benefits that come from those judgments. People often look at the judgments of God and say, that's harsh. There's always benefit to God's judgment. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 16 and 17. This is God's heart being being shown to us. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. As for you, my flock, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. I will bring back the lost, the scattered, the broken, the, and strengthen the sick. But those who are full of themselves, no, they're not going to make it. You get this sense of drawing in. That's why we are using this parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus is brilliant in his showing us what needs to happen to every man, woman, and child as they go, grow into righteousness. So, Sheep or goat? To be or not to be? What to be and what not to be? That is the question. (laughs) The resurrection brings opportunity, but that opportunity can only be capitalized upon by learned and intentional obedience. The parable teaches us to focus on the distresses of our fellow man regarding their hunger and thirst and loneliness and lack, struggles and imprisonment. Simply stated, humanity is to honestly care for one another on all levels. And Rick, you know, a point I was thinking about is even if you're not a Christian now, if you focus on the distresses of others, it will be easier for you when you're resurrected. Helping people will be like second nature. Yeah, you know what? The present is always the best time to get started. Always, always, always. These are great things to be developing. So learning to be instinctively righteous, just like you said, is not just a fascinating idea. It is the very core of God's plan for all of humanity. It is easy to see how the sheep learn to follow, but what happens to the goats? Where did they go wrong? The whole point of this parable is to understand that humanity has choices. What we have seen so far is that after being given opportunity, there are many who embrace following righteousness so much so that they didn't even need to think about living righteously. It's instinctive. With this in mind, we need to see what happens with those who don't make that choice. So you've got this instinctive righteousness growing into and then out of you. What about the everybody else? Well, remember that this parable is a final judgment. That's what, that's, that's what it's teaching us here. A final weeding out of unrighteousness. And this is 
very basically described for us in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Now remember, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, so we won't interfere with humanity's progress. It'll be a Satan-free zone, <laughs> which is explained in Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3. So, and that's important because the opportunity will be without that interference. That's a critical, critical matter in this whole thing. So we, we, want it, we see the sheep and the goats after that has been in place. With that in mind, let's go back to the Sheep and Goats LKP documentary. This next piece, Jonathan, is just a fascinating did you know about sheep and goats. Now, one of the main reasons why sheep and goats are to be separated relates to their diet. When sheep consume too much copper, it can kill them. They basically get all they need through grazing. On the other hand, goats do not get everything they need from browsing. Therefore, they require a mineral supplement that contains copper. So when sheep and goats are raised together, separate feeding locations will limit the risk of sheep receiving too much copper in their diet. So the diet of a sheep has got to be different than the diet of a goat. They are, they're very different things. A sheep's diet is easily accessible along the path, and you know by pictures of goats that they're always going here, there, and everywhere to find this. Stretching and reaching <laughs> and right. getting into trouble, getting stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the idea of being a sheep is to have the diet that's been put in front of you by the shepherd. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So now let's go back to the parable. We, in, in, in the last segment, went back to the parable and saw how those who were righteous, those who were sheep, were, were blessed, and they didn't eat. It's like, when did we do these things? They had grown into righteousness. Well, here is the judgment for those who didn't grow into righteousness. And, and it just came to me, Rick. They are on the right. They're in the right righteousness. Yes. That's a good way for me to remember it. It just hit me. Yeah. But those on the left, yeah, it's a different story. Yeah, they need to leave. They left, right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. So Matthew 25, this again, this is judgment for those on the left, those who did not comply. Matthew 25, verses 41 to 46. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And Rick, there is an equality in judgment for all. No national discrimination, no racial discrimination, no discrimination of men over women. All have opportunity for everlasting life in an earth that abides forever, Ecclesiastes 1.4. And that's why in this parable it shows exactly the same proclamation and exactly the same questions, because it's exactly equal. So let's finish verses 45 and 46. Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So you have a dramatic difference 
eternal punishment, eternal life. And, and, you know, you think, wow, that seems harsh. Well, think about putting it into the context that it needs to be in. And let's touch on this because, you know, at the very beginning it said, uh, go into the eternal fire. Let's talk about this eternal fire because it's not what so many uh, individuals think it is. It is not a fire of torment. Rather, it is a fire of destruction. How do we know? Let's look at the scriptures. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Let's just do 5 to 6, and then we'll pause for a moment. By the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Okay, so you've got the world that was in time of Noah. The world was destroyed by water. Now, the world wasn't literally destroyed. This is an important factor. But society as they knew it ceased to exist. That's the point of the scripture. Now verse 7 carries that thought into the, in, into the next age. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now I have two points. First, heavens and earth picture false religion and governments during Satan's reign. It's the order of things that are being destroyed. And second, the destruction of men is death, which is the opposite of life. There is no torment here. And that's such an important point. There is no torment here. There's no being tortured. There is a destruction. Peter is saying that the heavens and earth met their end by water, and in the same way will meet their end by fire. And what happens to the ungodly, like you said, Jonathan, very plainly, is destruction. Just one more verse. This is not our main subject today, but just one more verse on that. Psalm 37, verse 20. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. They will perish like smoke. They vanish away. It is a very clear picture of going into absolute nothingness and oblivion and being over. It's done. That's what destruction is. Please search hell at christianquestions.com for multiple episodes of in-depth scriptural analysis on this subject. Yeah, this is a big subject, and we really do encourage you to to look into it uh, because we're just touching on it here. But in those episodes, we go deeply, deeply into the scriptures. Let's go back to Sheep and Goats, the LKP documentary. And we're now looking further, looking more deeply into this feeding process that we were starting to talk about earlier. We just mentioned the two ways they eat as well. Goats are natural browsers. Browsing in this sense means to feed on leaves, twigs, or other high-growing vegetation. Therefore, goats prefer to eat leaves, twigs, vines, and shrubs. Since they are very agile, often they will stand on their hind legs to reach certain vegetation. In other words, goats like to eat the tops of plants. Sheep, however, are grazers. Grazing means to feed on growing grass. Therefore, sheep prefer to eat short, tender grasses and clover. They like to graze close to the soil surface. Similarly, one of the easiest ways to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat is to look at their tails. Usually, a goat's tail goes up, unless it is frightened, sick, or distressed. A sheep's tail will normally hang down. So many great little things there as we look at the comparison between literal sheep and literal goats that on the outside look very similar depending on where you are in the world. Goats feed on those high-growing vegetation areas while sheep graze 
close to the surface of the earth. It's very fascinating. You know, I think of um, the goats like uh, pride. Look at me, look what I can do. Also, it's not being happy or content with what or where the shepherd brought them. They're going to try to stretch the limits of what's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's why these are such good pictures. You know, this is not saying goats are inherently bad and sheep are inherently good as animals. It's it's using these characteristics to show us what we should be developing and what we should be running away from as followers of righteousness, whether in this age for true Christians or in the next age, like this parable is, is focusing on. So so God God's plan, God's plan puts Jesus in place to bring beneficial judgment to the world. Most people don't think about judgment as being beneficial, but it is. Beneficial judgment to the world, because Jesus paid the ransom price. All will be raised into God's kingdom and have equal opportunity. Let's go to Isaiah. We're going to go through to three different prophecies here now to just show how this parable of the sheep and goats is so prophetically supported. Isaiah 28, 16 and 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the secret place. And Jonathan, you know, I, I love this verse. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. I want to comment on that. In, in, in a former life, in a former job environment, I was a cabinet maker and installer. I built and, and, and installed kitchen cabinets, worked at a company, and I was the installer. And one of the things you had to do, because these were European-style cabinets and the doors covered the entire cabinet— is if you didn't install those cabinets plumb and level, it was awful because the doors would be crooked and you couldn't get it to make a straight line. So you had to be perfect with level and plumb. You had to have it right so it would look right and function correctly. And you develop an eye after a while. And to this day, and I haven't installed a cabinet in years and years and years, but to this day, I walk into a house and when I go into the kitchen, the first thing I look at is the line. I want to see if those cabinets are level. And you know, you can look at an eight-foot stretch of cabinet, and if it's off a quarter or half an inch, you can tell. Because, and, and that's why this, this verse means so much to me. God makes justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. It's perfect for us. It is. And, and Rick, in verse 17, uh, I wanted to pick out water, and water symbolizes truth. Hard truth represents hail, and soft truth symbolizes overflowing every space on this planet. This gives all humanity an opportunity for everlasting life. And that's the beauty of this. All have everlasting opportunity, and it's level, and it's plumb. It's exactly perfect for us. You've got to see the value of this incredible this, this story of sheep and goats as a lesson for the future. The learning process, so that's one prophecy. The learning process for both sheep and goats will offer clear accountability for each individual's sins. This next prophecy is really powerful about this same period of time. Ezekiel 18, verses 20 to 23. Let's just do verse 20 to start with. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Think about how clear that is. Everyone is responsible for their own mess. You're not responsible for mine, and you should be glad for that. 
<laughs> what? Uh, it's the other way around, brother. And I'm not responsible for yours. So it shows you an equity to begin with. Now, the next part is a really good news in that equity, especially if you're kind of messed up. You know, you've done a lot of bad things. Listen to these next verses, verses 21 to 22. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions, which he had committed, will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. Wow, Rick, that's forgiveness. You know, 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you think about it, that messed up person who did all those wrong and evil things, the scripture says if they turn from that, they're forgiven and they will live awesomeness next verse is even better okay verse 23 of ezekiel 18 do i have any pleasure in the death of the wicked declares the lord rather than that he should turn from his ways and live so <laughs> this is giving us That's a sense beautiful it is it is it's, it's giving us a sense of the righteousness of god and says i want you to live i'm judging you so that you can live. And what more can anybody ask for than a 100% completely fair, completely equal opportunity to be redeemed and to succeed? That's what these verses show us. One more verse, the way of righteousness for both sheep and goat will be one of abundant opportunity. This showed us the, 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 the accountability part. Here's the context, Isaiah 35, verses 8 to 10. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This broad six-lane highway for everybody, sheep and goats, are all redeemed. They have the opportunity to walk on this highway. So, sheep or goat, Jonathan, what to be and what not to be? That is the question. Both the sheep and the goats in this parable have the same redemption the same opportunity, and the same environment through which to grow into an instinctively righteous individual, being entirely equal before God. The scales of justice will be tipped by what each individual chooses to be driven by. See, it comes down to personal choice. The object for all mankind is to grow into an instinctively righteous individual. So when we put all the details in order, it becomes much easier to see and appreciate how God's justice unfolds. So, what is the bottom line for all who will be resurrected on the earth? How do you make sure you are a sheep? Getting to the bottom line on any matter that has eternal implications is always a good idea. The key factor here is Jesus. Think about his ministry for a moment. He preached to Israel, the nation that was under God's law, for their earthly prosperity. If we take his statements regarding what was most important for them in that time, the earthly governments and so forth of, of Israel, we will see the basis for eternal earthly 
life. So we need to put this all in perspective and say Jesus was talking about earthly prosperity to Israel because the law was built on that. Now, he was showing them a spiritual calling, but it was still an earthly law. So we need to focus on the words of Jesus, and we can apply them for those who are going to be in this age coming. First, though, let's go back to Sheep and Goats, the documentary, and uh, we're going to accentuate a little bit more about the investigative nature of goats versus sheep. Mark Silver of NPR conducted a 2014 interview with Kathy Dwyer, a professor at Scotland's Rural College. She does research on animal behavior and welfare. In that interview, she said, Because they browse, goats spend a lot of time investigating things. They are forever nibbling on and eating things. So they have more exploratory, investigative behavior because of their feeding style. They appear to be more interactive with the environment, and they are very engaging animals. Because of that, I can completely understand why people think they're more intelligent or have more personality than sheep. When you're a grazing animal, like sheep, you spend a lot of time with your head down eating grass. That's much less interesting to people. So definitely keep your head down. And, and that picture is humility, doesn't it? And, and take to heart what your shepherd says. Yeah, you know, it, it really does come down to that. Take to heart what the shepherd says and, and be, a, be that follower. And, you know, being a follower is not just a, a miserable life. You know, the, the thing, this is showing us compliance with God's will through Jesus or not. That's what the purpose of this parable is. But there are many prophecies that show us the grandness of a righteous life. The beauty, the how far it extends, the, the 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 opportunities of a righteous life. This is showing us the behavior, the internal, what needs to be put in place first. And so we, we're going to go through now some some of Jesus' own words on this. He's teaching core values for earthly eternal life, and we're going to take what he says in Ma- in Mark twelve twenty eight and thirty one and bring it right back to this parable of the sheep and goats. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these." And that's a just a, it's a just a simple statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If we take these four ways to love God, heart, mind, soul, and strength, combine them with the sheep and goats principles. Remember, we had those four basic categories and apply them to loving our neighbor. This is what we're going to end up with. Let's look at the distress of hunger and thirst and how it, what it has to do with our heart. We need to have our heart open to the immediate physical needs of our neighbor. The heart must be open to those physical needs, to the, uh, to, the, uh, to, to the sense of filling them. How about the distress of loneliness and what it's got to do with our mind? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're heart first, mind here in relation to the distress of loneliness. Well, we need to have our mind open to the immediate human need for compassion of those who are in unfamiliar and difficult circumstances. You know, you took a stranger in. You, you, you give them a sense of helping them and, and, and giving them guidance and, and direction. 
the next part is the distress of lack. We did heart. We did mind. This has to do with our very soul. We need to have our, our soul, our very being, open to the tragedies that expose others to the harsh elements. So lack can help, can, can make you, can, can be debilitating. And our lives need to be open, both now and for the world of mankind later in this day of judgment, need to be open to whatever the lacks are of their fellow man, to lift them up, to help them to walk with them. What Jesus is saying is, these are things, this is how to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling us ahead of time, here's how you apply yourself to living righteously, to making righteousness instinctive. And finally, the distress of struggle and imprisonment. You know, that was being sick and in prison. And this has to do with our strength. And we need to have our strength open to the long-term healing and freedom needs of those who struggle mightily. So we have to be focused. Those in the world, in the next stage, need to be focused on, what about my friend? What about the person I may don't, maybe don't know so well? What about another human being? How do I extend myself to become their brother or sister in humanity because of the sacrifice of Jesus? It's the bringing together of humanity and teaching them to all work together, to stay together. This brings us to our final soundbite from Sheep and Goats uh, documentary. And this is about returning to a feral state. Now, a feral state is a state of being wild. You can domesticate a lot of animals, but feral, you know, you have a feral cat that runs through your neighborhood. It's just a, a cat that just survives going place to place to place. It's very instinctive, and it doesn't have a lot of training here. So let's look at sheep and goats re in, in relation to returning to their feral state. Unlike sheep, goats have a tendency of being able to go back to their feral or wild state when given the chance. And it has been discovered that the only domestic species of animal that will return to a wild state as rapidly as a goat is the domestic cat. So the trait of a spiritual goat is to turn their foot back to evil, in other words. To turn right or left and leave the path that Yah has set them on. This is something that spiritual sheep will never do. And this is interesting. So sheep don't go back to any kind of wild state once they're following their shepherd. Goats are the animal that seems one of the most likely animals to do that. And that speaks volumes for why sheep and why goats and learning from the inside out and changing of our hearts. That's what the parable of the sheep and goats is really about, is has your heart changed with all of the opportunity you've been given? And here's the thing. God will do for his earthly creation exactly what he wants his earthly creation to do for each other. We know this by looking at Ezekiel 34. We're going to go for the verses 23 right through 31. We're going to break it into four pieces. And yes, four pieces just like heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're going to talk about these areas uh, as we go through them. Okay, let's see God's response to the distress of lack. Okay, and that was, you know, I was naked and you clothed me. God's very existence is open to the tragedies that expose his human creations. Ezekiel 34, 23 to 25. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, or Jesus, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, or Jesus, will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Again, a Satan-free zone. There's no fear, no intimidation, no harm here, Rick. No, and, and you've got God replacing the distress of lack with absolute security. That's what this messianic age, this judgment day age is about. It's replacing lack with security. What's next? Okay, let's see God's response to the distress of hunger and thirst. God's heart is open to the immediate physical needs of his human children. And he explains that to us because this was, you know, hunger and thirst. Uh, He explains that to us in the next verses in Ezekiel 34, verses 26 and the first part of 27. I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also, the tree of the fruit will yield its fruit, and the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure on their land. So, Rick, no anxiety for your next meal. God provides. Yeah, and you see this. There will be showers of blessing, and the tree will yield its fruit. The world is going to work the way God intended it to work. The earth will be productive, and mankind will be contributing to that, and it will be this ecosystem of replacing hunger hunger and thirst with abundance. This is what God does for his human creation. This is the day of judgment. This is where it brings us. His judgment's not bad. It's good. What's next? Okay, let's see the response to the distress of struggle and imprisonment. God's strength. God's strength will bring will break any captivity that has held humanity back. And again, next verse is in Ezekiel 34, verses the second part of verse 27 and verse 28. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be a prey to the nations, and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. Well, the unjust unjust humanity had to live through uh, under Satan's dying world uh, is history. It's over. God gives true freedom to everyone willing to learn righteousness. True freedom to everyone who is willing to learn and apply it from the inside out. Let's go to our uh, to to the, the next piece. Okay, let's see God's response to the distress of loneliness. Okay, the distress of loneliness, uh, God's mind, God's mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength now created a plan that gave humility, gave humanity Jesus as their shepherd. The human race will be as a flock of sheep, always together and always protected. This is what we've got. We've got that, and it's a very, very, very clear picture. Ezekiel 34, 29 to 31. I will establish for them a renewed planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine in the land, and they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord. So we've got a very, very clear, concise picture of how this all comes together. We've got the, the distress of lack. God's existence takes care of lack with security. The distress of hunger and thirst. God's 
heart is open to the physical needs and he gives them abundance with, with the with the earth the distress of struggle and imprisonment god's strength breaks any captivity that's held humanity back and that was in ezekiel 34 27 and 28 and now this distress of loneliness god's mind has a plan it's been in place from the beginning and this is how it's going to end up this is how it's going to be clear this is what it's going to to bring us so jonathan let's begin to wrap this up uh, sheep or goat, what to be and what not to be? That is the question. With eternal life on the line, we simply need to decide to be all that God will give us opportunity and capacity to be. Once the judgment of this parable is over, humanity will be in full harmony with their creator for eternity. And Rick, this is why we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we've got this sense of clarity by the way God treats us. And Jesus is saying you need to learn to treat one another with that same kind of godly respect in, in the perspective of where the plan of righteousness goes. That's what the parable of the sheep and goats are really all about. So um, let's go one, one final scripture, Jonathan. Proverbs four twenty three to 27. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So we've got this final scripture, and, and you know, this, Jonathan, verses 23 and 26 were actually the verses that I put in my yearbook when I was in high school. I had just dedicated my life to God through Christ and wanted to do something to, to be a witness, and my dad said, use Proverbs 4, 23 and 26. And he, he read me those verses, and it says, watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flow the springs of life. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Those are the words of my dad to me as a very young Christian. And those words apply to the world of mankind later on in this next age. In this age where they need to come to the point of making righteousness instinctive. So it comes from the inside out. They don't even have to think about lifting up and helping others through their issues of hunger and thirst and loneliness and lack and struggle. They do it because they love their fellow man, because they love God and love Jesus. That is the lesson of the sheep and the goats. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, is parental discipline of our children a thing of the past? You know, we're in a different world than we used to be, and it looks like raising children is a different thing. But is it? Is it? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs>